Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Guys, are you trying to stay in 20-year-old shape into your 30s and 40s and finding it, well, impossible? Then you need to listen to this. Beachbody, the company that revolutionized getting ripped at home with P90X and Insanity, has a brand new program just for you called Lift 4. It's part lift. It's part hit. With total body shredding results in just 30 to 40 minutes a day, right at home on the Beachbody On Demand app. That's how you get killer results as an adult. Go to Beachbody.com to sign up now and you can try Lift 4 for free. That's Beachbody.com. In late February 1855, the British ship Marathon was sailing about 600 miles south of the Azores when the crew spotted another vessel drifting nearby. The course the Marathon was on was an active shipping route, although back then it was common for some cargo vessels to go weeks without spotting another ship along the way. That is, if they ever spotted one at all. As they drew near to this other ship, the captain and crew of the Marathon began to realize there was something wrong. The ship was sailing erratically, as if no one was at the helm. They would eventually discover that this other vessel was named the James B. Chester. When the Marathon pulled alongside her, the crew tied hailing anyone on board, but no one responded. The captain of the Marathon found it a bit unnerving but he also saw an opportunity at the same time. According to maritime law, if it turned out the ship had been abandoned, that meant he had the right to salvage her. So the captain sent a boarding party over to search for signs of life. But the Marathon's crewmen didn't find anyone on board, not above deck nor below. Whatever had happened aboard the vessel, it appeared to have happened in a hurry. The cabins were all torn apart, Clothing and personal effects were scattered about. Tables and chairs were overturned. And drawers, cabinets, and chests throughout the vessel appeared to have been ransacked. The first thought the crew of the Marathon had was that the ship had been overtaken by pirates. And yet, there was no blood to be found, nor any other outright signs of violence. The ship itself was still in perfect working order and its storeroom still carried plenty of food and water for a long voyage. Perhaps even more telling was that the ship's cargo remained safely stored below deck. If pirates had raided the James B. Chester, surely they would have taken it. They would have also likely scuttled the boat afterwards, sending all evidence of their crimes to the bottom of the ocean. This left two other possibilities. That the crew had either been forced to abandon ship, or they had mutinied. Mutiny seems particularly unlikely in this case, considering no one was on board and there would appear to be no good reason for the crew to have left the ship after seizing control. And yet the ship's logs and compass were nowhere to be found, a sign the crew may have abandoned ship and taken them with them. But at the same time, all the lifeboats were still securely tied in place, which meant if the crew had abandoned ship, how had they gotten off the boat? 
If you were a sailor back then, the only reason you would ever consider abandoning ship would be because you felt your life was in imminent danger. But the James B. Chester appeared to be in good working order. Also, if the crew had felt their lives were in so much danger, why had they taken the extra time to ransack each room? The Marathon hauled the derelict ship back to Liverpool where the captain claimed salvage rights over her. The mystery of what happened to the ship's crew would never be solved. After that, the James B. Chester would pretty much vanish from the history books. And nearly two decades later, its legend would be overtaken by another, more famous ghost ship. From its very beginning, that particular ship appeared to have suffered a constant string of bad luck. She was built in Spencer's Island, Nova Scotia, under a British registration as the Amazon. Her first captain died just 48 hours after being hired. On her maiden voyage, she collided with a fishing vessel off the coast of Maine, damaging her hull. Then, during those repairs, a fire broke out below deck. Her third captain managed to wreck the ship once again, colliding with another vessel off the Straits of Dover. Then her fourth captain ran her aground on Cape Breton Island, nearly damaging her beyond repair. After that, the ship was purchased by some American investors who had her salvaged and rebuilt. A new captain was hired, and she was christened with a new name. It's a name that would go down in maritime lore as the most famous nautical mystery ever told. The new name of that ship was the Mary Celeste. I'm Nate Hale, lost in a desert island with my new podcasting partner, Wilson. Say hello, Wilson. And this is The Conspirators. On December 4, 1872, the British brigantine the Dea Grazia was sailing through the North Atlantic on a course from New York to Gibraltar. They were about midway between the Azores and Portugal. The weather was good, and the wind was in her favor. It was late that chilly December afternoon when they spotted the dark shape of a two-masted vessel just over the horizon. Like the James B. Chester a decade and a half earlier, it was obvious something was amiss because of how aimlessly the ship was sailing. Two of her main sails were heavily damaged, and the lower fore topsail drooped slackly over the mast. The captain of the Dea Grazia, David Morehouse, sent up a signal to the other vessel, but he received no response. He and his first mate used the ship's telescopes to take a closer look. Captain Morehouse recognized the ship immediately as the Mary Celeste. He knew the ship well. The Dea Grazia had been moored in a neighboring pier back in New York while they both picked up cargo. He even knew the ship's captain, Benjamin Spooner Briggs, personally. But when he looked through his telescope, Captain Morehouse could see no one on board. Morehouse knew that the Mary Celeste should have already been docked in Genoa, unloading its cargo, not out here in the middle of the ocean. This concerned him greatly. Captain Morehouse considered Benjamin Briggs a friend. He dined with the man just a month earlier back in New York. The Mary Celeste had set sail on November 5th just ten days before the Dea Grazia started her own journey across the ocean. As the Dea Grazia drew near the Mary Celeste, Captain Morehouse called out with his hailing trumpet, but no one answered. 
Morehouse could tell that the Mary Celeste was on a starboard tack, although the jib sail was set to port. This meant that the ship was, in effect, sailing out of control. The only possible reasons this could be would be if the crew had either abandoned ship or were all dead. He ordered his first mate Oliver DeVoe to take two crewmen with him and see what was going on aboard the Mary Celeste. When the Mary Celeste left port a month earlier, there were ten people on board, including seven crew members, Captain Briggs, his wife, and two-year-old daughter, Sophia. The Briggses also had a seven-year-old son, but they left him behind in America under the care of relatives. The crewmen from the De Grazia were unnerved from the moment they set foot on board the Mary Celeste. They called out for anyone on board, but no one came out to greet them. The wheel remained unattended, spinning idly against the waves. Besides the torn sails, the men found some of the rigging in disarray. The halyard, the main rope for the ship, was missing. The men searched everywhere on board, but they couldn't find any sign of life anywhere. In many ways, this incident seemed even stranger than whatever had occurred aboard the James B. Chester, because in this instance, there were no immediate signs that anything was amiss. The people were just gone. There were no signs of any disturbance, and in fact, they even found the remains of a bowl of porridge and a plate of eggs laid out on the dining room table, mostly untouched. Next to that stood an open bottle of cough syrup with the cork and a spoon lying next to it. The skylight that stood over the deck cabins was broken open and rain and seawater had soaked much of the bedding and clothing the crew found below. They found about three and a half feet of water in the ship's hold, a significant amount but not enough to be considered cause for alarm. One notable detail they discovered was that one of the ship's pumps had been disassembled and the sounding rod, a long metal pole used to tell if the ship was taking on water, lay on the deck. The Mary Celeste had two pumps, both of which extended from deck down into the ship's bilges. But if one failed, the ship could still function with the other. As far as the crew of the Dea Grazia could tell, the Mary Celeste remained seaworthy. She carried a cargo of 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol below decks, but that appeared to be intact as well. The ship still had enough food and water on board to last six months, and none of it had spoiled yet. As the Dea Grazia crew continued searching, they found money and valuables on board right where the crew had left them. The only items that stood out to be missing were a few of the navigational charts, the ship's chronometer, and most telling of all, its only lifeboat. The Mary Celeste was a 282-ton brigantine, a ship that size should have had more than one lifeboat and chronometer on board. But at more than a decade old and after having already undergone a number of costly repairs and refurbishments, some corners had been cut. During loading of the ship's cargo in November of that year, one of the ship's lifeboats had been smashed. And rather than delay their voyage by taking time to replace it, they decided to set sail with only one lifeboat and one chronometer. A ship's chronometer was an essential piece of equipment. It was, in fact, the key piece of equipment that was used to tell where the ship was as they traveled east to west. DeVoe found the ship's log in the mate's cabin. According to what was written, the ship had battled harsh weather and difficult seas almost from the moment they set sail. The final entry was dated at 5 a.m. on November 25th, nine days earlier. 
At the time, the logs cited their position as near Santa Maria Island in the Azores. This was about 400 miles away from where the De Grazia had discovered her. One piece of evidence that was examined later on for the possibility it might lead to proof of some act of violence occurring on board was a sheathed sword discovered beneath the captain's bed. Medical experts studied the suspicious reddish stains on the blade and later determined they were nothing but rust. Captain Morehouse had no explanation where Captain Briggs, his family, and crew had gone. Although the missing lifeboats suggested they may have abandoned ship, there seemed to be no good reason an experienced seaman such as Briggs would have done so. Not with a seaworthy vessel and plenty of supplies on board. When the Dea Grazia finally docked in Gibraltar, Captain Morehouse reported what he discovered and promptly filed a salvage claim. An investigation was immediately launched, one that would last four months and end inconclusively. Although in the absence of concrete answers, this would lead to endless speculation about where the crew of the Mary Celeste had disappeared to. Speculation that continues to this day. In the 1800s, New York had become one of the major hubs of commerce and shipping around the world. On any given day, more than 700 ships might be docked along the city's piers, picking up or delivering goods. Typically, a ship would stop in one port, send out agents throughout the city to find goods that needed to be delivered elsewhere, load up, and set sail. Then repeat the process all over again, wherever they landed next. Benjamin Spooner Briggs came from a respected sailing family. His father was a sailor before him, and he carried on the family tradition. He married a minister's daughter named Sarah Cobb, who often went to sea with her husband. After the birth of their son, the young boy would sail with them. But when Briggs became captain of the Mary Celeste, it was decided that Arthur, who had just started school, would remain behind on this trip, while Arthur's two-year-old sister Sophia would travel with them. At the time the ship was rechristened the Mary Celeste, it was already nearing the end of its life. As I mentioned, the ship had already been through numerous accidents, and by the time the Mary Celeste began sailing, wooden vessels such as her were already on their way to being replaced by newer, longer-lasting steel vessels. When Benjamin Briggs agreed to become the Mary Celeste's captain, he did so only under the conditions that he be granted a portion of the ship's profits and that during the ship's retrofit several modifications be made to accommodate his family. The main cabin was enlarged, and the entire deck was raised, which made the ship four feet longer and five feet taller than it had been before. Investigators did look into Captain Briggs's background, but they considered him beyond reproach. They couldn't say the same for his crew, though. Typically, a ship's crew would consist of whomever would be willing to hire on for a few weeks or months at sea. This would often lead to hiring people with some rather shady backgrounds. The lead investigator in Gibraltar, Attorney General Frederick Solly Flood, found it suspicious that three of the crewmen knew each other beforehand and all hailed from the same tiny region of Germany. Two of them, in fact, were brothers, Volkert and Boy Lorenzen. None of the Lorenzen brothers' possessions were found on board, leading Solly Flood to wonder if the men had murdered everyone else. But being as everyone else's valuables had been left behind, this didn't seem likely. The investigation would later determine the men had lost most of their own possessions in a shipwreck a few years earlier, and they were eventually cleared, although they would once again fall under suspicion when the 1935 film The Mystery of the Mary Celeste 
put forth a story in which the two men murdered everyone on board and dumped their bodies into the ocean. Film history buffs may be interested in learning that one of the Lorenzen brothers was played by none other than Dracula himself, Bela Lugosi. Yet another possibility that was considered by Solly Flood and other investigators was that the crew of the Mary Celeste were killed by the crew of the De Grazia. One story that has often been repeated about the Mary Celeste is that of a mysterious secret rendezvous in the middle of the ocean. The two ships were purported to have made even earlier than what was reported by Captain Morehouse. It is true that Captain Briggs and Captain Morehouse were previously acquainted. One theory that was spun over the years was that the two captains cooked up a scheme to split the salvage costs for the aging vessel. Although Captain Morehouse double-crossed his friend by murdering him and everyone else on board the doomed ship. But investigators could find no evidence of any such plot, and in fact, ship's records from the De Grazia don't line up with them ever having time for any sort of clandestine meetings with the Mary Celeste. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. By the time the four-month investigation into the salvage claim wrapped up, Morehouse and his crew were only offered one-sixth of the $46,000 that Mary Celeste had been insured for. This settlement suggests that although investigators may have had no real proof the crew of the De Grazia were responsible for what happened to the Mary Celeste, they still remained under suspicion. The story of the Mary Celeste may have faded into obscurity, much like the story of the James B. Chester before her, had it not struck the interest of one of the most famous names in literary history. In 1884, a young British doctor named Arthur Conan Doyle began trying his hand at writing as a way to support himself, while his medical practice struggled. The future creator of Sherlock Holmes published a heavily fictionalized and, more than a little racist, story about the Mary Celeste titled J. Habakkuk Jeffson's Statement. Doyle's story contains numerous inaccuracies, even changing the ship's name to Marie Celeste. In Doyle's version of events, the mass disappearance was caused by a fictitious African slave who seized control of the vessel and sailed the ship back to the African continent, where the crew was brutally slaughtered. Indeed, Doyle's story appears to be the real start of the endless sea of speculation surrounding the mystery of the Mary Celeste. After Doyle became famous, other stories would begin to be published in books and magazines speculating about what happened on board the ship. Tales have been written about pirates about the Bermuda Triangle, sea quakes, giant water spouts, the lost city of Atlantis, sea monsters, UFOs, and interdimensional portals. One story claimed that Captain Briggs himself murdered his wife, daughter, and crew, then committed suicide, all in a fit of religious mania. Legendary chronicler of the strange and unusual Charles Fort described a mysterious selective force that whisked away only the crew and left the ship intact. Conversely, in 1926, writer Adam Bushy theorized that the ship itself somehow dematerialized en route, but when it returned to a solid state of matter, the people on board sunk to the bottom of the ocean. About the only thing I don't think has ever been suggested that made the crew vanish was Bigfoot. This sort of rampant speculation is what happens time and again in Unsolved Mysteries. 
especially mysteries that have been around as long as that of the Mary Celeste. In the absence of hard evidence as to what really happened, that just opens the floodgates to all sorts of imaginative theories, very little of it matching up with the known facts. One of the most common theories, a theory that is most often cited as the correct answer, was actually first put forth by the ship's owner, Captain James Henry Winchester. This all centers around the ship's cargo of denatured alcohol. After Doyle's story was published, Winchester proposed that highly flammable fumes from leaking containers of alcohol in the ship's hold built up, along with other toxic gases, and as the weather heated up and the air grew warmer down below, it caused an explosion, blowing the ship's hatches open. Fearing that fire would spread throughout the ship, Captain Briggs quickly ordered everyone to scramble aboard the lifeboat and abandon ship. This theory was even accepted by Captain Briggs' family as the likely solution to what really happened to them. But in truth, the facts don't support this theory very well at all. When the ship was found, her main hatch was still securely in place, and the two hatches that were found open didn't lead to the main cargo hold. Nor was there any evidence of scorch marks or other signs of fire in the hold. When the ship docked in Gibraltar, investigators removed 50 of the barrels for inspection all of which were perfectly intact. Weather records from back then also show that the temperature throughout the Azores wasn't much different than it was in New York that November. There's also the simple fact that alcohol just plain doesn't explode the way Winchester described. In more recent years, the same theory has continued to evolve into a more nuanced version, one that you'll often find cited as the most plausible explanation to what really happened to the ship's crew. One thing that was noted even back during the investigation in 1872 was that of the more than 1,700 wooden barrels in the ship's hold. A small handful of them were built of red oak instead of the white oak used in the vast majority of the barrels. Once all the barrels were unloaded from the cargo hold, nine of the barrels were discovered to be empty. All nine of those barrels were the ones made of red oak. So what's the difference? For that, you have to actually understand there's a fundamental difference between red and white oak on a microscopic level. Red oak has a porous cellular structure, whereas white oak is more solid throughout. This means that liquids could potentially leak out from a barrel made of red oak. Alternatively, one suggestion has been made that those nine barrels were simply filled improperly back in New York. But according to this popular theory, those nine empty barrels hold the key to what happened to Captain Briggs and the others aboard the Mary Celeste. In this theory, the barrels leaked their contents and the resulting fumes built up in the ship's hold. Captain Briggs was unfamiliar with transporting denatured alcohol and may have mistakenly believed that those fumes could start a fire or explode. Remember, the only reason a captain would ever abandon ship is if he felt the ship was in imminent danger. Couple this with the fact that not only he and his crew, but his wife and two-year-old daughter were on board, and the captain may have panicked enough to make everyone climb on board the lifeboat. It's even been suggested that the captain may have intended to return to the ship and that he popped open the hatches to air the fumes out while he let the lifeboat drag behind the ship attached to a rope. But rough waters caused the rope to snap, leaving them lost at sea. While on the surface it all sounds plausible, the facts don't necessarily support this theory either. When the crew of the De Grazia went through the ship, none of them reported smelling any alcohol fumes. And when the Mary Celeste was examined in Gibraltar... No one suggested there was anything particularly wrong with the ship's cargo. Instead, the investigation in 1872 focused heavily on where and when the ship may have been abandoned. 
A 2007 documentary by the Smithsonian Channel offered an alternate theory that may offer an even more plausible solution to what really happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste. Although the Mary Celeste is far and away the most famous abandoned ship in history, finding an unmanned vessel in the middle of the ocean was not exactly uncommon during the 1800s. Reports by the United States Navy during that period describe hundreds of derelict vessels that had been found adrift. And among those, many of them may have sailed unmanned for hundreds of miles. Taking into account ocean currents, the records found on board the ship, and the location where the De Grazia discovered her, it appears the Mary Celeste may have drifted for more than 440 nautical miles, being pushed along by the wind and the waves from the place where it was originally abandoned near the Azores. An experienced captain like Briggs would certainly never have abandoned ship without believing he had a good reason to do so. Abandoning ship in the middle of the open ocean would be extremely perilous. There is no telling what could happen to a tiny lifeboat with no land around. So assuming Captain Briggs would only have abandoned ship if there was land in sight, that would likely mean the nearest landmass the Mary Celeste would have come close to when they decided to leave the vessel would have been Santa Maria Island. Santa Maria Island rises up to 2,000 feet out of the ocean and would have been visible up to 20 miles away. The problem is the island's rocky shoreline would have provided no safe harbor along the Mary Celeste's normal route. Many years later, the now-retired Gibraltar Attorney General Frederick Solly Flood remained troubled by what happened to the Mary Celeste. He continued to write about the strange disappearance of the ship's crew decades after the investigation was concluded. And it's through his writings that we may find the key to what happened to the ship's crew. Keep in mind, much of the evidence for this theory is taken second-hand based on official records Solly Flood wrote about. Many of the original records from the investigation have since been lost to time. When Frederick Solly Flood wrote his memoirs in 1884, he continued to puzzle about the many facts that just didn't add up in the case. One problem he had was the timing of it all. For some reason, Captain Briggs had taken three weeks to sail a distance that should have only taken two. According to Solly Flood, the Mary Celeste's records clearly showed the ship's crew had survived until at least November 20th. But they had sailed through terrible weather the entire way. This could have delayed them some, but it still didn't make sense in the grand scheme of their known voyage. Today, ships sailing around the world have satellite navigation to rely on to ensure they stay on course. But back in 1872, ship's captains only had their training, equipment, and navigational charts to rely on. Captain Briggs was certainly an experienced sailor, but it's possible his equipment failed him in catastrophic ways. A ship's chronometer, or sea clock, is used to measure distance traveling east to west, every minute representing 15 nautical miles. But the math didn't add up in the ship's records described by Solly Flood. It turned out the Mary Celeste only had one chronometer on board, and it was purchased right before sailing. A ship the size of the Mary Celeste typically should have had more than one chronometer, just in case one breaks or malfunctions. Since the Mary Celeste only had the one instrument on board, and it wasn't found with the rest of the ship, it can be presumed that Captain Briggs took it with him wherever he went. This is unfortunate because if the chronometer had still been on board, it could have been examined and determined whether or not it was functioning properly. If the chronometer had been malfunctioning, then this could have set the ship off course. Weather records show Captain Briggs sailed through three major storms on his easterly course. 
If he had continued on his original course, he would have sailed into even more bad weather. So at one point, Captain Briggs diverted course on a southeastern heading to avoid the bad weather. A broken chronometer would explain why the north-south calculations made in the log were correct, but those made heading east didn't add up. It's possible Captain Briggs didn't realize there was a problem until he neared the Azores. When you're on the open water with no land in sight, it can be very difficult for a captain to realize they aren't making the time the way they expect. But once land becomes visible, it's then possible to compare against navigational charts to determine if they were really on course how they presumed. According to the Smithsonian documentary, Captain Briggs realized he had a problem by November 22nd, when no land was in sight where there should have been. Based on calculations taken from the records Solly Flood described, the Mary Celeste chronometer was running slow by 8 minutes, which would have put them more than 120 nautical miles further west than Captain Briggs thought they were. This realization may have then caused Captain Briggs to divert course once more, heading north around Santa Maria Island on November 24th. Another reason he could have turned north was because along the northeast corner of the island also lay San Lorenzo Bay, the easiest place on the island to make land. This then leads to another possibility. What if Captain Briggs sailed that way because he thought his ship was in danger? Take into consideration the mysteriously disassembled pump discovered by the crew of the De Grazia. This may be ultimately what caused Captain Briggs to abandon ship. Something that's not often reported is that prior to carrying a load of alcohol, the Mary Celeste had been used to transport a load of coal. The original investigators noted this in their report, but dismissed it as having no bearing on the case. But something the investigators missed was that this means there could have been a buildup of coal dust in the ship's bilge. Couple that with all the construction the ship underwent prior to sailing means that all sorts of sawdust, nails, and other debris could have also built up inside the ship's bilge. This would have formed a thick sludge that caused the pump to break down at a critical time during the Mary Celeste's voyage. On the night of November 24th, the Mary Celeste once again sailed directly into another huge storm. The entire crew would have worked through the night to battle the high winds, rain, and enormous waves. By the following morning, even after the storm subsided, the winds remained heavy and the sea choppy. Evidence suggests that the meal found laid out on the breakfast table had been made for two-year-old Sophia Briggs. Since the meal was found partially eaten, this suggests that the ship was abandoned sometime before noon. According to Solly Flood, Captain Briggs had expressed concern about the pump in the days before November 25th. What if something happened to convince the captain that the problem was worse than it really was? Perhaps the captain came to believe that the reason they were taking on water wasn't because of the pump at all, and he became worried some of the hull planks had loosened in the storm. If Captain Briggs thought the ship was sinking and his family was in imminent danger, he may have chosen to abandon ship as soon as they neared land. Of all the theories I've read about the Mary Celeste, the story about the faulty pump makes the most sense to me. Although, to be fair, it's not universally accepted among historians who have written about the case. Truthfully, we'll probably never have a definitive answer what happened to the people on board the Mary Celeste. Logic and the known facts do seem to dictate that a series of accidents and unfortunate events all led to disaster for the crew. One other underlying question is if all the calamities suffered aboard the Mary Celeste were just a bunch of unfortunate coincidences, or maybe 
Just maybe. There really was something to all those stories about the supernatural playing a hand. Historically speaking, sailors are some of the most superstitious people you'll find. It's pretty easy to understand, too, considering how many mariners throughout history set sail across the ocean and never returned. Most sailing superstitions all surround things that could purportedly cause bad luck. There are some superstitions that say a ship shouldn't set sail on a Friday. Another refers to a particularly unlucky passenger or crewman known as a Jonah, who brings nothing but bad luck if allowed on board. Likewise, there are some superstitions that say an entire ship can be born bad. When you look back at the entire history of the Mary Celeste, you can't help but wonder if there might be something to it. Although most accounts about the Mary Celeste begin and end with the disappearance of the crew, believe it or not, that wasn't the end of the ship's calamities. After the Court of Inquiry issued their final report, James Winchester returned the ship to New York as quickly as possible and sold it at a loss. By then, the word had gotten out about the ship, and the word was, the ship was jinxed. The next owner of the Mary Celeste tried using the ship for delivering lumber to Montevideo. But during that voyage, a brutal storm heavily damaged the deck cargo and much of the ship's rigging. On the return trip, they were bringing back a load of horses and mules, but most of the animals died along the way. After that, the ship was sold and resold several more times and each of the new owners reported one series of problems after another. Then in 1884, a Massachusetts businessman named Gilman C. Parker bought the ship, although you can probably use the term businessman loosely with him. Throughout most of his life, Parker had been involved in one shady business after another, up to and including straight-up piracy. Within months of purchasing the Mary Celeste, Parker and a few of his cohorts would be arrested and put on trial. But the jury was unable to reach a verdict and the men were released. But the public shame involved with the trial would prove too much for the men. One of them went insane and was committed to a mental asylum. Another committed suicide. What little reputation Parker had was completely ruined, along with his finances. And he died destitute just a few months after his release. Was the Mary Celeste cursed? We'll never know. The crime Parker and his criminal friends were accused of was insurance fraud. After they sailed the ship to the Caribbean and set it on fire, sending it forever to the bottom of the ocean. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, and Entirely Fictional Identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Even though I've currently turned off billing for my Patreon account, people keep subscribing, and for that I'm eternally grateful. Thank you to Katie, Kathy, Chucky, and Josh. You're all amazing. One other thing you can do to help the show is to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Each one of your ratings and reviews helps boost us in Apple's rankings and raises us up in the podcast charts. If you're not on Apple, not to worry. You can find us on most of your other favorite podcast apps. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can find our entire back catalog of shows. If you're looking for us on social media, we're in all the usual places. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can even send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you'll be back next time.